It's heartbreak time in one dugout, Joe, and laughter and kicks in the other. And on both sides, losing hurts worse than feel, winning feels good. One thing about the series, they thought there wouldn't be any drama, that it was all left in the league championship series. And maybe it was slow getting underway, but what a whale of a last two games. Somehow baseball always manages to come up with that great sixth and seventh game. And somehow the youngsters, like all can Boyd, will learn to persevere and bounce back. And Gary Carter and his team, now having climbed the mountain, should certainly enjoy the view. From Shea Stadium in New York, for Joe Garagiola, this is Ben Scully. Hi, this is Ernest Harden Jr., Marcus from the Jefferson, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Well, all right. Ed Roberts was a reminder that the next edition of TV Confidential will premiere next week on the time. Please join us as we welcome singer, actress, producer, and philanthropist Lucy Arnaz. Please join us for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa is with us for a special edition of This Week in TV History. Tony's segment is always brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble, storysalon.com, Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Story Salon. Tony's standalone podcast this week in TV history is available. Apple Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. Normally, Donna Allen joins Tony for this week in TV history. Donna is on assignment this week, so it'll be just you and me this time, Tony. We've been listening uh, to the wonderful tribute to Ben Scully that Phil Grice put together some years ago. We've been listening to that as part of our program this week, as I said in one of the segments with Phil, I grew up a San Francisco Giants fan. I'm still a San Francisco Giants fan, but I knew who Ben Scully was because I would hear him on the NFL broadcast on Sunday. He called one of the most iconic moments in 49ers history. He called the catch, uh, which clinched the playoff game for the 49ers against the Dallas Cowboys in January 1982, which led the 49ers to their first Super Bowl, which they eventually won. And he called many memorable moments on national game, national baseball games for NBC. And so I was a Ben Scully fan before I moved down here. And the, even though I never became, and I'm still not a Dodgers fan, I followed the Dodgers because of Ben Scully. And I was very fortunate to listen to Ben Scully the last seven years he broadcast. And I understand the thread he was for, what, four generations of families who, in many respects, their bonding relationship started with Ben uh, calling Dodger games because they would always be on the background. We lost a, a member of our storytelling community at Story Salon a few years ago, Steve Robinson. And he wrote this wonderful story about how Vin Scully helped raise him and kind of explained when he was young going to the Dodger games. And I know it wasn't exclusive to Dodger Stadium, but I remember going to the games uh, and everybody would have a transistor radio and, you know, the, you know, the AM mono with the one, the earphone, but it was one. Right. That stuck in the air looked kind of like a hearing aid yeah. because people were listening to Vin Scully call the game, even though you're right there. You still wanted to hear his voice call the game. And when you're little, you can remember things like him promoting Farmer John's hot dogs. Farmer and, John's. <laughs> yeah. It's always time for uh, Dodger baseball. And I didn't fully appreciate it until I was an adult because I thought he was like our local person. 
like Cal Worthington or, you know, some of the local pitchmen that you would see on local TV. And, you know, when you live in L.A., a lot of what, what's happening in L.A. is also something that's a national thing. But Vince Gulley was also the one that was calling the game when Hank Aaron beat Babe Ruth's home run. And it was, you know, the Braves versus the Dodgers. And Vince Gulley, when you see the home run and you see the record break and all the excitement, and then Vince Gulley is the one uh, who is explaining to the American people how significant this moment. This is not just, you know, Braves history. This is not just baseball history. This is not just black history. This is American history. This is a moment. And he's the one who is telling everyone why this moment is just so important. And if you watch that historic moment, because I remember seeing the, the ball go over the fence and there's an advertisement on the wall for Bank Americard. Because you know, that was on there, and it's Vin Scully's voice that's telling you why this is such a big deal. But I did not fully grasp how he belonged to America, not just L.A. Uh, when Harry Carey died, because I thought, you know, Harry Carey was a bigger figure, and I guess he was because he was often satirized and mocked, and Will Ferrell did a great impression of him. Uh, and... Um, you know, I guess in New York, you'd have people like Phil Rizzuto and all that. But he, you know, Vince Scully was nationally known, and I, I always saw him as a local figure. And I didn't fully appreciate how well, because of uh, him following sports like that. Yeah, and this is just one of those serendipitous looks yeah. of the calendar. The game in which... Aaron hit the home run that broke Babe Ruth's record in April 1974. That happened to be the NBC game of the week that week. Back then, NBC, they did a Saturday game that was the national game of the week, and they did a Monday night baseball game. And if I remember correctly, Scully was calling that game for NBC, even though it was a Dodger game. It just happened to be a Dodgers game. And so that is also part of why he is inextricably linked to that moment, both in terms of the historic moment in sports, but the historic moments in terms of our culture. And he was a modest man. He was a very grateful man. But part of what made him such a great broadcaster was the amount of preparation he did in every broadcast. And he just had a sense for the big moment. And he knew when to let the action speak for itself and he knew when to step in with the television broadcast, and no one rehearses anything like that. You just kind of draw on your ability to know what to say. Like you said, and it's it's also funny because as a broadcast major, it's kind of pounded in you that dead air is death, and Vince Scully was able to use silence, and he also, he always had a story. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you have those moments on the field where nothing is happening, but the person at the microphone has to keep talking. And Vin Scully knew when to be quiet, which is, first of all, it's, it's like a commandment in broadcasting that you're not quiet, especially in that medium, you know, where he's a voice. Uh, you don't see him as often but also know to when to be quiet and when to have just the right little anecdote to throw in there until things start up again. 
and he was just such a master at that. There's a wonderful, there's a, it's like maybe a five, maybe a 10 minute video. You can find it on YouTube. He did this for the Television Academy about 10, maybe 20 years ago. He gives the viewers a rundown of how he prepares to call a typical baseball game for the Dodgers. He was doing baseball exclusively for the Dodgers back then. This is around 2000. And he shows you his scorebook. And, and back by, by 2000, broadcasters were bombarded with numbers. When he first started his career at the, in the late 40s, early 50s, the only numbers that mattered were batting average, home runs, runs batted in, and in your one loss record. Uh, but uh, there are so many numbers that you can make too much out of numbers, but he always, he would highlight the ones that he thought were important, the ones that were, that were relevant to the game, and then each team had what's called a press guide, a media guide that have biographies of the players and interesting factoids. He would highlight dog-ear parts of, of, of each player, each team, and if that player was the starting pitcher, was the starting center fielder, if he was in a slump, if he was ha having a hot streak, he would, at an appropriate moment, work yeah. that in, into the broadcast. And the thing that made him unique, and very few people are capable of doing that, he made you, even though he was talking to all of Southern California, whether on the radio airwaves or the TV airwaves, he made it seem like he was talking to you and only you. Yes. Yeah, it, he was such a fixture. And if you're of a certain age, you don't realize that he was doing it when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. And just to make that transition, and I've only met one person who was a fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers and then be, maintained their fandom. Uh, and that was Larry King. <laughs> <laughs> When I met him one time and the Dodgers were playing and um, and he was just talking about the Dodgers and not being a big sports guy, I am fascinated by sports history and to hear him talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers because every one of my Brooklyn relatives disowned the Dodgers when they left. And they were of the school. Those aren't the real Dodgers. The real Dodgers are in Brooklyn. And I'm sure there's still people who feel that way. Uh, George Carlin was a, Dod a Brooklyn Dodgers fan and felt betrayed when they left Brooklyn. I've never seen it in the routines, but I've seen it in interviews that he was not an L.A. Dodgers fan. But to have somebody whose career spans all of that and continues with all of that through the trials and tribulations uh, that that franchise went through. The only comparison I could have to his retirement and then uh, his passing is Johnny Carson, because it was like such a sad day when... He retired. There was like this grief that you were feeling that this is the end of something. And I think Vince Gulley, when he did his last front in San Francisco, you know, it was like, this is the end of something. And his final speech, he has a final speech. He's talking directly to his fans. This is the end of something. But come spring, once again, it'll be time for Dodger baseball. That's and right. It's like it came together. And then a few years go by and then you hear that he is gone. And you're feeling that same thing all over again, helping console you. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. I think that's a good analogy, Tony, because there's a longevity. And because, you know, I mean, Carson did it for 30 years. 
Scully yeah. did it for 67 years. I'm, I'm thinking like Walter Cronkite, he said goodbye, but then he was back in the fall with a special. Yeah. <laughs> you still had Uncle Walter somewhere. He just wasn't at the same. It's kind of like Grandpa selling the house and moving to a condo. Well, <laughs> yeah, but Scully became a little bit active on social media. He did open a Twitter account, and uh, one of the beat writers for the L.A. Times would take questions for him. Several of the tributes have either heard or read zero in on how if he met you, he remembered your name. And, he, and if he ran into you five years later, he would remember your name because he just had that uncanny gift. Uh, Charlie Steiner, who's the current voice of the Dodgers on radio, had a really nice story. He grew up, fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers, told his mother, I'm going to be the voice of the Dodgers one day. Said this when he was a kid. Fast forward 25, 30, 40 years later, circumstances bring him to L.A., and he is offered the radio job of doing the Dodgers. Now, for the last 10, 15 years that Scully called games, the radio voice of the Dodgers was sort of a part-time job only insofar as the first three innings of the television broadcast, which Scully did, were simulcast. So you would hear Scully on the radio for three innings, and then he turned it over to Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday for the rest of the radio broadcast, and then Scully would do the rest of the TV broadcast by himself. But um, the day Steiner got the job for being a radio play-by-play -play announcer for the Dodgers, he called his mother and said, Mom, do you remember what I told you when I was a little kid growing up listening to Brooklyn Dodgers game? I'm going to be the voice of the Dodgers. And she said, yeah, I remember that. Well, guess what? I, I'm now the voice of the Dodgers, blah, blah, blah. So he's having a nice conversation with his mother. He gets a call, an uh, incoming call notification on his cell phone. And who is it but Vin Scully on the other line? And it was Scully congratulating him for joining the broadcast team. So Steiner says, Mom, ordinarily I would continue our conversation, but I have to put you on hold. Ben Scully's on the line. So that was, that was kind of a nice moment. And that's who Scully was. I mean, Scully was, I mean, he was, he was revered by broadcasters because whenever they had a chance to work with him or get to know him, it didn't matter whether you were doing it for 25 years, 65 years, or two days. He made you feel like you were, you were on the same level as he was. You know, you and I have had these conversations very often in the time that we have known each other. And uh, sometimes the loss is, well, I feel like a piece of my childhood is gone. Yeah. And I think, uh, with, especially with musicians, and when I'm thinking about Prince and David Bowie and recently Olivia Newton-John, it's like sometimes you don't fully appreciate that these people were part of the soundtrack of your life. Yeah. Either, you know, for me, like David Bowie was always present. Uh, Prince was somebody, my adult life. And uh, certain people that were, these were the songs you heard when you got your first car. These yeah. were the songs yeah. you heard, you know, when you went to the mall. These were the people. And I think Vin Scully is kind of more like the, with the musicians, you know, it's like, oh, I remember that show when I was a kid and, you know, whatever happened to. But Vin Scully was also part of the soundtrack of your life if you were uh, uh, an Angelina, whether you were a sports fan or not. He was part of that audio tapestry that you would be hearing.
because you turn on the car radio, there he was. You'd walk to a public place, you could hear his voice, let alone if you know you were watching the game or you went to the stadium, you would hear him, or he might be pitching something else. He did it for, if I have my math correct, he did it for 58 years in Los Angeles alone, plus another nine years in Brooklyn. But 58 years in Los Angeles, that's three generations of families of listeners who grew up with Vin Scully as part of the soundtrack of their lives. Yeah, yeah. when we've had these conversations, like I said, it's either I feel like a piece of my childhood is gone or it's like, why am I feeling so emotional about this particular loss? Yeah. And I think a lot of times with musicians, it's this is, you know, the soundtrack. And I think, yeah, Vin Scully, as a broadcaster, he's part of the soundtrack of your life. He, he falls in that category. And but it was also like a compare with Johnny Carson. It, you felt grief when he retired. Yeah. Even the can you imagine you feel grief when he retires and he's the guy who's also consoling you <laughs> when he does give his final speech, because his final speech was very uh, informational, unlike Johnny Carson, where you could sense that towards the end, he, it was hard for him to keep it together. Yeah. When he says, I, I bid you a, a heartfelt good night, you know, it, there's a tremble in the voice and all that. And you could tell that that was a challenge. But Vin Scully was very much paternal and saying, yes, I'm leaving, but it's going to be OK. Yeah. You know, it's it's all right. It's almost like, you know, like when the first host of Blues Clues stepped down, you know, it's like it's going to be OK because this spring it's once again, it's going to be t- time. It's like a. Dodger baseball hasn't come to an end. That's baseball right. hasn't come to a head. I'm just, you know, it's time for me to leave. And, and But it's okay. You know, this spring, it's going to happen again. You know, and, and um, yeah, so it's like you're grieving for the loss of somebody, and that same somebody is consoling you. And then when he actually does die, there is so much recorded material of him that is also helping console you. StorySalon.com, Facebook.com forward slash StorySalon. You can hear This Week in TV History as a standalone podcast, Apple Podcast, wherever you find audio. For more information on Phil Grice and archival television audio, go to ATVAudio.com. One more item. Our friend Chuck Harder, Mr. Entertainment, recently performed an hour of song at Sideshow Books in Los Angeles. A few weeks back, I was in the audience that night, and Chuck gave us a wonderful evening of stories and songs. Check it out on YouTube for free. Chuck Harder, in person, Sideshow Books on YouTube. MPI Media Group, in association with the UCLA Film and Television Archive, have just released the first two seasons of The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet for the first time ever on digital platforms and viewing on demand. The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, one of the longest-running sitcoms in TV history, airing on ABC for 14 seasons, 1952 through 1966, with 435 episodes produced. It is also one of the most beloved family sitcoms from the golden age of television. The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, seasons 1 and 2, restored by MPI from the original 35mm picture and sound elements in association with the UCLA Film and Television Archive, which reserves the elements on behalf of the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, 
1 and 2, available now on DVD and on demand from MPI Media Group. Matt Robertson, Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, Phil Grace, and Greg Airbar. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe. We'll talk to you next time on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.